Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing About a Boy. About a Boy was written by Nick Hornby and published in 1998. And the film adaptation directed by Chris and Paul Weitz came out in 2002. And we're really excited to do this book-to-movie adaptation, and we actually already did a Nick Hornby adaptation. Yes. We did High Fidelity. Mm-hmm. Uh, the really famous movie starring... Uh, John Cusack. John Cusack, thank you, mm-hmm. uh, that we were both really big fans of. So Yeah, and that's a really fun episode, too. So if you're excited about this one, you like it, or if you've seen High Fidelity, definitely go back and listen to that episode. I think it was a good one. Yeah. I'm trying to... I wonder how many Nick Hornby books have been adapted. At least... Three or four. Because I know he's written a lot. Yeah. And I know there's a recent one called Juliet Naked that I want to watch. He also did Fever Pitch. The baseball movie? Yes. Really? Or I mean, I'm guessing that was a book. Yes. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Interesting. I can see that. Apparently there was like a UK adaptation and then they made a US one because it's actually about a football team. Oh, okay. Okay. But they changed it to baseball. Oh, interesting. Because I know the... the, the, uh, U.S. version stars Jimmy Fallon, yeah, which is weird because he was in like three movies <laughs> in ever. his life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fascinating. I I like that. Yeah, we also kind of chose this movie. It's been on our list for a, a while because it's sort of a Christmas movie. I mean, it's not actually a Christmas movie. There's a Christmas scene, but there's in it. parts in it that take place at Christmas. I was trying to like. I, I <laughs> thought there was more Christmas in this than there was. <laughs> Honestly, it was really funny because when we watched this movie, yeah, I was so certain I had watched it before. And I know I had at least the beginning. Yeah. Because the whole duck situation that happens, mm-hmm. I like knew about. But then the more we watched it, I'm like, none of the rest of this is ringing a bell at all. Maybe you just saw the beginning. I must have just seen that one part at one point. Like, I don't yeah. think I'd actually seen like the whole movie. That's so funny. Yeah. Because at some point I'm like, okay, I'm waiting for something else to like ring a bell or yeah. remind me, but like nothing ever did. So. And speaking of Christmas, we are doing a very special bonus episode for our patrons this month. Ian and I have watched three, uh, terrible Netflix Christmas movies. To varying degrees of terrible. To varying degrees of terrible. And we're discussing them on this very special episode. You don't want to miss it. It's uh, it's Netflix trash, right? It's yes. perfect. It's a very Netflix Christmas. It yeah. was so much fun to do and talk about. So yeah. if that interests you, you can join as a patron on any level and gain mm-hmm. access to that episode and all of our other bonus episodes. So, yeah. Yes. That's that's the pitch. There's our pitch. <laughs> There's our fever pitch. <laughs> Let's uh, let's jump into this adaptation. Yeah. So this story is told kind of from two perspectives. Yeah. Uh, kind of maybe the main character being Will, mm-hmm. who in the movie is played by Hugh Grant. Yes. And Will is uh, a shitty man. Yes. yes. <laughs> Nick Hornby does so well in writing just selfish men. Yes. You know, because I, I would argue that the main character in High Fidelity is the same way. Absolutely. Like, just really... Like, dumb and not self-aware and selfish men. Yes. You know? But there's something so sincere and, like, you can sympathize with them or understand them. Yeah. Where, like, you are endeared to them (laughs) even when you shouldn't be. Yeah. Uh, He just, yeah, writes such terrible yet likable uh, leading men. 
And Will is like 36 or 38, depending on the book and movie. And he doesn't have a job. His dad wrote a very popular Christmas song called Santa Super Slay. (laughs) (laughs) Which apparently everyone knows all the, this is like the biggest deviation from like the real world to this movie (laughs) is that like there's this Christmas song that everyone knows called Santa's Super Slay. Yeah. And Will's been living off the royalties uh, for his whole life, basically, because his dad is dead. Um, And... Yeah, he has no job. He just gets enough money to kind of buy lots of, like, nice clothes, get nice haircuts, just do whatever he wants with his life. He's very much, like, um, to himself. And in the movie, he talks about being an island and the whole, like, no man's an island. And he's like, I'm an island, though. Yeah. And... We do get uh, voiceover in this movie, too. Like, a lot of the narration that's happening is in the... It's from the book, a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. But there is additional stuff added, like the stuff about being an island. Mm -hmm. There's actually quite a few original lines in the film that aren't from the book, but I think fit very well. Yeah. And maybe summarize certain parts or ideas pretty nicely. I think, like, the island thing works pretty well. Definitely. Yeah, and he hasn't really been in very serious relationships. He dates off and on, but he doesn't want anything serious. He doesn't have kids. He doesn't really even have very close friends. And, like, there's a part in the beginning of both the book and the movie where he's hanging out with some friends who have just had a baby and is just, like, really not vibing with their (laughs) lifestyle. And he's like, I would hate this. This is awful. They want him to be the godfather. And he's like, that's okay. I don't love the joke that they make in the movie, though, about him, like, Wanting to have sex with her when she turns 18. It was really creepy and weird. Yeah. Like, it just goes way too far. It does. I mean, none of the other humor in the movie felt that way. No. Uh, And I mean, you could argue, like, maybe he's just saying that to, like, so they won't make him the godfather, like, going extra far. Yeah, but still. It's still, it's not funny, (laughs) and it feels like it's supposed to be funny. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, no, he's just, like, not about... Having personal relationships in his life, he's just Mm -hmm. very closed off. He does have a brief relationship with a mother of, like, a what? Like, a young child. I forget their age. And it's kind of this revelation for him because he realizes that most of these single mothers, or at least this woman. Yeah. What's her name? Angie? Angie. Mm -hmm. uh, Angie is, like, very angry at her Mm ex-husband and has been wronged by him and just has, like, so much on her plate. And uh, Will is like, all I have to do is be better than this really (laughs) shitty man. Yeah. (laughs) The bar is so low. Yes, that, like, I can do this. (laughs) And it's also this aspect of, like, because she has a kid, she's more desperate. And, like, maybe if she didn't have a child and she was single, like, she would be too good for him. Yeah. But now he gets to be with this, like, hot woman because Mm -hmm. she has a kid and she thinks less of herself. And he's, like, so unsympathetic. Like, she's late to a movie (laughs) once because, like, the babysitter is late. And he's like, that really pissed me off. (laughs) As if she had any say in it. Yeah. Um, And then there's a great part, too, because, like, he's about to break up with her because things aren't, like, he just doesn't enjoy the lifestyle necessarily of dating someone with a kid. But before he can break up with her, she breaks up with him. Mm-hmm. There's such a funny line in book and movie where she's like crying. Yeah. And he gets to enjoy still getting to be like the good guy, the situation. And he was like, 
I never sat across the table from a woman who was crying without being at fault. He's like, and I was rather enjoying the experience. <laughs> He's so shitty. He's so shitty. But, so, but it's, it's so, so funny. Great. I know. <laughs> he decides to continue this experiment. But he needs to find a way to meet single moms. So he decides to join a single parent group. Uh, It's called SPAT, Single Parents Alone Together. (laughs) And he's like, cool, I'll just pretend that I'm a single parent. Uh Then I can meet single women and there's nothing that can go wrong in this scenario. (laughs) He creates a fictitious child of his, like a two-year-old named Ned. There's a great scene when, because Spat is like in the film a little bit more of like a like a support group, like they sit in a circle yeah. and like share their feelings. And he gives this whole speech about like, oh, and then my child like hugged me and said like, hang in there. And they're like, wow, that's impressive for a two year old. And he's like, <laughs> is it? Is it? <laughs> he's just so out of his depth. Uh, but it's so entertaining and fun. Yeah, I just want to read a part uh, of this book out loud because it's just so funny, and I want to give you like a taste of this author's narration. And this is just about how Will kind of traps himself in this lie about his son, Ned, because he's like, he meets this woman, Susie. They're going to like go out on a date and go to this picnic together with some of the other members of SPAT. And then he's like, well, I have to come up with a reason that my son Ned won't be there. And so here is him trying to figure out the situation. He said, no, disaster was approaching and there was nothing he could do about it. Best pull out now, walk away, leave them all with the impression that he was an inadequate, eccentric, nothing more. Certainly not a pervert or a fanaticist or any of the bad things he was about to turn into. But walking away wasn't Will's style. He always felt something would turn up, even though nothing ever did, or even could, most of the time. Once, years ago, when he was a kid, he told a school friend, having first ascertained that this friend was not a C.S. Lewis fan, that it was possible to walk through the back of his wardrobe into a different world, and invited him round to explore. He could have cancelled, he could have told him anything, but he was not prepared to suffer a moment's mild embarrassment if there was no immediate need to do so. And the two of them scrabbled around among the coat hangers for several minutes until Will mumbled something about the world being closed on Saturday afternoons. The thing was, he could still remember feeling genuinely hopeful right up until the last minute. Maybe there will be something there, he had thought. Maybe I won't lose face. There wasn't, and he did, loads of it, a whole head full of face, but he hadn't learned a thing from the experience. If anything, it seemed to have left him with the feeling that he was bound to be lucky next time. So here he was, in his mid-thirties, knowing in all the places there were to know that he didn't have a two-year-old son, but still working on the presumption that, when it came to the crunch, one would pop up from somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Just this idea that, like, well, maybe a two-year-old will show up in my life. There's so many things I love about this. There's a part later where he summarizes by saying, like, he wasn't so much a uh, good liar as an enthusiastic one. And just, like, summarizing, like, that was so funny. It's so good. But I love also highlighting that, like, there have been points in his life 
when he should have learned a lesson <laughs> to not do this, but he never did learn a lesson. No. And I think that's so true to life that like there's so many times when we should learn a lesson from something, but like rarely do we ever. No. And I, I God, the writing in this book is just so funny. It's amazing. I'll probably say it a hundred times in this episode, but genuinely. It's laugh out loud funny. Like you oh, do, yeah. you're just reading it and you just end up laughing to yourself. Sometimes it's like a whole situation. Sometimes it's just a line mm-hmm. or the phrasing of something, the dialogue. Like there's so much humor throughout this book that I was constantly like chuckling at. Yeah. Should we talk about Marcus now? Yes. Our other main character. So Marcus is uh, 12, 11. I forget how old exactly he is. 12, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he is not a popular child. No. Uh, he He's odd and eccentric. One of the first things we learn about him is that like, he sometimes will sing out loud when he has a song stuck in his head without yeah. realizing it. Mm-hmm. And so like when the book begins, he's being especially bullied because during like his math class, he sang out loud to a song mm-hmm. and the teacher made fun of him. I like how the movie does this. Like you hear the song playing yes, yeah. and then he starts singing along with it and then you realize it's just When in the his music head. fades <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah. I thought that was done really well. But, you know, Marcus, so his parents are divorced or separated or in the in the book they were never married. Um, and he and his mom have recently moved to London from Cambridge. And so this is a new city. His mom's in a new job. And Marcus is starting a new school. And it's just really, really tough for him. And he's in the worst part of life, Ian, which is middle school. Mm-hmm. I could think you can defin- definitively say. And then high school is, like, a little bit better, but it still sucks. Like, I like just, <laughs> I don't know if it's that, like, because you're hitting puberty that you're weird or if it's just like your clothing choices everything is wrong i had a series i had like five dual colored fleece hoodies that i wore every day through like all of eighth grade two colored fleece hoodies i'm so glad i couldn't i would i didn't see that (laughs) got them from old navy and i just every day i wore them yeah and what's interesting too about marcus is like his mom fiona is kind of like a hippie. And this book was written in, like, you know, 98. Um, and it's supposed to take place in, like, 1993, I think yeah. they mentioned. Um, and the the movie is a little bit later in time, but there are kind of, like, events and, like, themes from the 90s that are really present, like, kind of vegetarianism, environmentalism. These are things that, like, were not mainstream at the time. Yeah. You know, like, now I can say, oh, I'm a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. And, like, people don't think that's weird. I mean, some people might be like, uh, But most of the time it's like, oh, that's normal. But, like, back then... That was really weird. Yeah. And so Marcus and his mom are kind of these hippy dippies in Mm -hmm. a lot of people's minds. And Marcus is suffering for it. And it's one of those really weird things. And it's so hard to like explain. But like Marcus talks about it in the book. He was like, I'm weird because my mom is weird. Yeah. And my mom won't let me listen to new music, uh, new like movies and shows. I can't play, like, computer games. I can't do all the things that every kid is doing because she says that they're, like, trash and it's not as good as, like, the old stuff. And honestly, I can, like, really relate to this. Yeah. Because when I was growing up, my parents were extremely religious. And so I wasn't allowed to listen to pop music. I wasn't allowed to watch uh, current movies. I wasn't allowed to play video games. I wasn't allowed to do a lot of things. And it really does harm you yeah as a kid because and it shouldn't right 
Like it shouldn't. Yeah. Like you should just be able to be your own person as a kid in life and like still get along with the other kids, still enjoy school. But I think the book and movie bring up a good point, And that is, is that who you are? Yeah. Like if you're not exposed to those things, you're not making a choice no. about what to actually consume in terms of media. So like, are you being yourself or are you just being a reflection of your parents? Exactly. And kids don't really have a choice with that. But like, I could really empathize with Marcus kind of realizing that like he's being set up to fail. Yeah. And and he's just not fitting in at school, and it's just really tough on him. Something else that is interesting about Marcus is that I think comes through a lot clearer in the book is that Marcus definitely exhibits a lot of traits of being on the spectrum and being autistic. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, he's... He's very literal. He doesn't quite get sarcasm. Yeah. He kind of approaches ideas and thoughts from a perspective that is, like, very different than, like, Will. Yeah. Which has so much humor to it when those two are, like, butting heads Mm -hmm. and Will's kind of, like, baffled. Yeah. But the thing that I really like is, I mean, the book, you know, and this takes place in the early 90s, so I doubt kids were being diagnosed, um, you know, in the way that they are now. Especially with Marcus, you know not being, like, severely autistic, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, it would make sense that, like, they aren't, like, he's not he's not saying that he's autistic or anything like that. No. But I think that the book does a good job of representing this, too, because, like, first of all, the book puts you in the head of Marcus, right? Yeah. And it does such a good job of, like, presenting his viewpoint as being logical and making sense, mm-hmm. you know? When you're from Will's viewpoint, a lot of times... It's like a you lot see funnier. Differently. Yeah. yeah. And I think it does a really good job of creating that contrast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I appreciate that it's not just like all Will's perspective and this like really goofy kid that you never really get to know. Yeah. And secondly, they don't do the trope of, oh, he's autistic, but he's actually a genius. No. In this one thing. <laughs> yeah. Which like was so common, especially around this time. Uh, yeah. I just watched a video about this, but like, you know, Rain Man, mm-hmm. the movie, was a lot of people's introduction into like, autism adult Mm -hmm. autism and like the characteristics of that and but of course his character in that is like a genius like a math genius (laughs) and it's like that for a lot of stories especially of that time yeah so to just present marcus as like being a very normal kid but with you know autistic tendencies Mm -hmm. i think is really cool and i liked it a lot yeah and i kind of wish the movie i don't quite get that vibe as much no like marcus just feels like oh he's kind of literal in the movie. Yeah. But like he doesn't exhibit, you know, maybe the like the lack of eye contact or other mm-hmm. tendencies that would be like, you know, uh more physical of someone who's on the spectrum. Definitely. And I kind of wish it, you know, leaned into that a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about Will, we talked about Marcus. Let's talk about how they come together on Dead Duck Day. <laughs> <laughs> Dead Duck Day. I just love calling it that. And that's what Marcus calls it for from now on after this day. It's a picnic for the SPAT members, and Will is there. And tragically, Ned could not come because his mom came around to get him at the last minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although that didn't stop uh, Will from buying a car seat that yes. he didn't need and putting, like, <laughs> chips and juice on it. That scene in the movie where he's just stamping the <laughs> chips and the people in the parking lot are looking at him. <laughs> that was great. Uh Yeah, so I kind of really love in the book and movie how Will and uh, Marcus are, you know, meet each other. Yeah. Because Will 
is pretending to have a child <laughs> and going on a date with this woman who is watching Marcus, who is the son of her friend. Yeah. Because her friend Fiona, you know, Marcus's mom, is kind of having a depressive episode. Yeah. And just needed, you know, Marcus to be taken care of for a while. Yeah. And so it's kind of this like... <laughs> But it's, like, so accurate that, like, these kind of really weird circumstances end up bringing people together. Yeah. And at first, Will is just like, uh, who's this, like, weird kid <laughs> that is, like, interfering with our date? Yeah. And Marcus does not like Will because he's, like, very well dressed and he, like, knows that he's just trying to get with Susie. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, the initial dynamic is great. Yeah, and... I like so in the in the book, Marcus is just feeding the ducks with some bread, right? In the movie, though, they add the detail that like the mom made the bread. Yes, that was really good. And it's so it's like really dense and healthy and like hard <laughs> to chew. And it's Marcus hardy. is trying to like rip pieces of the bread off so he can feed the ducks, and he just can't. So he just throws the whole loaf <laughs> in the pond and ends up killing a duck. In the in the book, he just throws like a big chunk of it. Yeah, and ends up hitting a duck on the head and killing it and he keeps like claim or keeps like reiterating like it was probably sick and gonna die anyway like (laughs) what duck dies from being hit with bread you know oh my god it's just so funny he comes back and he's like i think i killed a duck and they're like what (laughs) and then like the park ranger comes over and will's like oh the the duck was dead already marcus was just trying to like sink it (laughs) With the bread. Well, and Will in the movie says, too, when he sees the bread in the water, yeah. he's like, is that your mom's bread? And he's like, Jesus, Marcus, that would have killed me if you'd thrown it at my head. <laughs> Just such good dialogue and, so good. and lines. Yeah. Um, but this kind of, like, uh, makes Marcus obviously like Will a lot more since he kind of defended and lied for him. Yeah. And he kind of gets this initial idea in his head, like, what if Will and my mom dated? Yeah. Then my mom wouldn't be sad. And Will seems like fine enough yeah so marcus ends up calling will oh wait we have to talk about what happens though when they get home oh jesus god i <laughs> like, am where Whoa, are you going i'm sorry <laughs> that that thought just naturally led to the other but i just skipped like a huge chunk they come home from the picnic and you know will and Susie follow marcus inside and they find fiona on the floor uh, having vomited because she took like a whole, you know, jar full of pills, basically. Yeah. Tried to kill herself. This kind of leads to like a frantic situation where an ambulance comes. Uh, Susie rides with Fiona to the hospital while Will brings uh, Marcus and yeah. her daughter with him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of this like tense situation. But like what's really, I don't want to say funny, but is like Will is almost enjoying it yeah will is like wow this is so exciting yes because like (laughs) nothing ever happens to will i love the movie added the line about like driving fast behind the ambulance was really fun yeah (laughs) but like at the end of the day he wouldn't choose to do it all the time yeah he's like well that was fun i'm done with this (laughs) whole experiment now this single parent thing like like that's one of those things it's like kind of relatable to a degree when like something happens that's like Maybe serious, but in your mind, you're like, this is, like, interesting. Well, it's like how we like to gossip, right? Yes. We we love gossip. We, fr- we freely admit that we like gossip, yeah. right? It doesn't, like, 
it's not too close to our own lives. No, just stuff about people that we don't know that well, right? Yeah, <laughs> but like really juicy gossip, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that kind of tendency of like being fascinated by strangers' lives. Because at this point, they yeah. are strangers to Will. Yeah. Uh, so there is that like relatability to Will's shittiness that I love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Fiona eventually comes back from the hospital. Marcus finds her suicide note. Yeah. Which is really tough. And, like, they, there's this – I like the scene in the movie where she comes back and it's just the shot of Marcus standing in the apartment by himself. Mm-hmm. And he looks so sad. And he's standing there kind of, like, not knowing what to do, how to welcome her back into the, the house. Yeah. And this is just so sad – for Marcus and for their situation. Like, I mean, his mom tried to kill herself, right? And he doesn't know how to fix things. Yeah, like, he doesn't even know. And, like, there is a level of, like, am I the reason she tried to kill herself? Yeah. Which is, like, very natural, I think. Mm-hmm. But I I also don't think, like, the story, like, leans too far into that. No. It's more just, like, he, he needs her. She's, like, the person who like she she's the parent who watches him yeah and he knows that to a degree she needs him but he doesn't know how to help her Mm -hmm. so it's like a very complicated and sad situation for this 12 year old to be in yeah and i like i think it's the same in the book i I could be wrong but the movie line where she said did you read the part in the note where he said i'd always love you and he said it's a bit hard to love me when you're dead yeah you know kind of just feeling really angry at his mom in a lot of ways for doing this and like kind of wanting to like leave him by killing herself and everything. And then his mom is like, well, I'm fine now. I don't want to kill myself. You don't have to worry. And Marcus is rightfully like, I can't trust you now. Yeah. You know, and is like really having to grapple with things that no 12 year old should have to deal with, you know, trying to figure out how to like take care of himself, what he would do if he lost his mom. And he comes to the realization that two people is not enough. Yeah. He's like, I can't, this isn't right. Like, it's just me and my mom. I thought we were fine. But if something happens to her, I have nobody. My dad is like far away. He's not really that much in my life. Like, I need to figure out a situation because to make this better. So if something happens to my mom, I'm not going to be alone, which is like such a an awful thing for a kid to have to consider. Yeah. I mean, he's dealing with like such kind of heavy topics for a 12 year old that it's like very sad. Um, but this leads to his decision that like, well, Will wasn't too bad. Yeah. Maybe I can hook my mom up with Will (laughs) and that would like solve my problems. Yes. And so he calls Will and is like, hey, do you want to hang out slash can my mom come and can you pay for us because you have money and we don't. (laughs) And this is a thing where, um, I think the movie does the right thing by, Almost story-wise by including the voiceover. Yes. Because at this point, Will agrees to go, you know, to dinner with them, Mm -hmm. which is out of character for him. But, like, you know, it's human nature to kind of do things that, you know, kind of go against our grain sometimes. And so for the voiceover to kind of clarify why he's doing it, like this kind of, like, mental process of that decision, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think is a benefit. Because sometimes... People are like, oh, a movie shouldn't have to have the voiceover. It's like a crutch. You know what I mean? Yeah. The story, the the actions and dialogue should tell the story. But I do think there are advantages to it. 
and and good things about it in movies like this. Yeah, and I think this movie really benefits from it because what I love about the book is the alternating perspectives. Right? Yes. Because we were talking about that earlier, how you'll be in Marcus's head and everything will be like very literal and, you know, we get his perspective, we get him thinking about these really heavy things. And then we get Will's perspective and Will kind of being like, oh my God, can you believe how like nutty and weird Marcus's mom is? And <laughs> yeah. like how this is a really weird situation. So we get kind of both sides a little bit. Well, and similarly, like, um, you know, identifying, you know, signs of autism within Marcus. At first, like, you don't. Yeah. You, like, the first perspective you get is Marcus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, like, he says, like, why do people think I'm being funny yeah. when I'm not? Yeah. Uh, it, so you, you don't kind of get that context. But then when Will and... Marcus finally start interacting and you get that outer perspective. Mm -hmm. You start to see it a bit more. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. And the voiceover preserves that sense that you get from Mm -hmm. the book. So it really does translate that feeling from the book really well. Kind of these different perspectives and kind of these two characters being very much in their own minds, but yet coming together. I will say, and I I don't want to be, like, comparing these movies probably anymore after this, but, like, I still don't think it's quite as effective as, like, how High Fidelity does it. Yeah. Where he's literally addressing the camera. Yes. And, like, engaging with you as the audience. That is really fun. Because, I mean, that just, like, you know, sometimes, like, with voiceovers, because when it's just dialogue over top of something else happening, you can kind of, like, tune it out or you're not always, like, paying attention to it. Yeah. But when the character directly is addressing you and, like, you know, just spilling their guts to you, it's, like, so captivating. Mm -hmm. So I do like the voiceover, but I'm still maybe more of a fan of how High Fidelity did it. Yeah. So they go on this date, right? Marcus and Fiona and Will. This date, in (laughs) quotes. Um And it doesn't go well because Will and Fiona are very different people. Mm -hmm. And I think they both don't like each other, honestly. (laughs) And Marcus is just trying to, like, get them to start talking or get them to communicate. And it's just, like, making things, like, more uncomfortable. Yeah. And then, then, of course, there's the scene in both the book and the movie where he goes back to their place and Fiona starts playing the piano and singing with her eyes closed. (laughs) (laughs) And Will is like... When will my suffering end? He's like appalled. He's, <laughs> but I really love, and, and the movie actually carries this like metaphor farther than the book does. Yeah. But just talking about like the sincerity of someone who would sing with their eyes closed versus him. Yeah. Who like can't enjoy things in that kind of sincere way. Yeah. And this is something that's so good about the writing of the book is that like, I wouldn't say Will is, like, a complicated character. No. But, like, Nick Hornby is constantly, like, investigating or attacking his personality from, like, different perspectives or, like, examining him in, like, different situations and how he feels about different things. Yeah. So it's not necessarily, like, enlightening, but it's always funny to be reading about, like, his opinions on things. Yeah. Because it's just so... It's just cementing the character as he is like Mm -hmm. so thoroughly and just like constantly enlightening you about their viewpoints and it's just so funny so this like afternoon doesn't go well and will is kind of like all right well i don't really want to be involved in this family (laughs) anymore but marcus has other ideas and he follows will 
home, finds out where he lives. In the movie, he kind of follows him around like a lot. Yes. On his errands and stuff. And then shows up at his apartment after school and is like, you don't have a kid, do you? (laughs) Catches Will off guard. And he's kind of like, so what? You know? And Marcus kind of knows that this is something like he could potentially use against Will. Uh And ultimately, all Marcus really wants is to just hang out at Will's house. Yeah. And I really like, because at first, it's not like explained up front, but like you get the idea that like, obviously finding his mom, uh, you know, in the state that he did on Dead Duck Day was traumatizing for Marcus. Yeah. And he just kind of like doesn't want to go home. Yeah. Or he wants to delay going home. Going home. Mm-hmm. So like hanging out at Will's house is like a good alternative. Yeah, so he go- starts going to Will's house after school every almost every day. And, like, I love when that scene in the movie when he's just ringing the doorbell in time to the music. Like, <laughs> yes. Will eventually just, like, lets him in because Marcus is so persistent mm-hmm. that he just gives up. <laughs> we also get that great montage of just them on the couch. Yeah. Like, in so many different, just really capturing the passage of time. I feel like I need to watch Countdown. They talk about it so much. They do. And I'm like, what is it? How does this game show work? Yeah. They I'm watch interested. it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I also like that over the course of this montage in the sh- movie that like, you know, you can start to see them liking each other a bit more. Yeah. But it's very gradual. Like it the, is. The montage covers like weeks mm-hmm. of them hanging out. And by the end, like, I don't know. Marcus is, like, holding food. Like, there's kind of, like, a funny moment between them. Yeah. But it's, like, no more than that. They're not, like, wrestling or, no. you know what I mean? It's not, like, extreme with it. Yeah, and, like, Will doesn't even really ask him about anything that's going on in his life, except just saying, like, how's your mom doing? And, and not wanting to go further than that. He feels yeah. awkward with Marcus. But, like, Marcus is clearly finding, like, a safe space here with Will and a place that is kind of, like, a relief from the double pressures of home and school because he's being bullied at school. And then at home, he's constantly like watching his mom and making sure she's okay. Yeah. And this is really just a space where he can relax and doesn't have to worry about that stuff. And then there is an incident um, with the candy throwing. <laughs> I'm like, what kids waste? I waste good candy. Good candy. I know. Throw some rocks. I know, right? Come on. <laughs> They're everywhere. Uh, but this like clues, I think like Will knew that Marcus was bullied at school, but like yeah. being followed by kids and having shit thrown at you, like Will's like, oh, this is like a lot worse than maybe I thought. Yeah. And he decides like, maybe I can help fit in more at school because like that's the one thing that he could help with Mm -hmm. because he's such a man child yeah he's like i can't help him with his depressed mom yeah i can't give him like sagely advice about growing up but he's like i do know how to pick out a trendy pair of shoes yeah and so they go and will buys marcus sneakers that aren't even like that flashy they're just like kind of normal kid sneakers yeah because he wants marcus to fit in and he tells him i i like this line in the book he says you can be weird on the inside but you have to be the same on the outside (laughs) yeah and i feel like it's so wrong but it's so right you know i mean school is such a hellhole it is that like a kid like marcus how could you just not want to help him no matter, like, what it means, even if it's, like, losing your identity? It's, like, one thing to say, like, be yourself and don't care what kids yeah. say. But when kids are, like, horrible to you day after day, 
chase you around throwing candy at your head. Like, mm-hmm. you would just want to be like, listen, do whatever it takes, okay? Yeah, yeah. I just want to read a part from the book because it's so accurate to this. Uh, so Marcus is, like, hiding from people, from from kids at school, um, because people are, like, constantly laughing at him when he goes by. And he says, what was there to laugh at? Not much, really, unless you were the kind of person who was on permanent lookout for something to laugh at. Unfortunately, that was exactly the kind of person most kids were in his experience. (laughs) They patrolled up and down school corridors like sharks, except that what they were on the lookout for wasn't flesh, but the wrong trousers or the wrong haircut or the wrong sneakers, any or all of which sent them wild with excitement. As he was usually wearing the wrong sneakers or the wrong trousers and his haircut was wrong all the time, every day of the week, he didn't have to do much to send them all demented. <laughs> um, but I mean, this is so real, right? Like, and something I think is interesting too, too that the book points out is how even the teachers don't really care. No. Yeah. And I love when Marcus gets like so pissed off, like the most pissed off because like after like his Marcus or I'm sorry, Will buys him sneakers and then the sneakers get stolen and he gets called into the office because of this incident. And the you know, principal or whoever he's talking to is like, well, why don't you just stay out of their way? Which I cannot even wrap my head around being <laughs> an adult in this situation. Like, let alone like the principal. Yeah. And your advice is you don't belong in the same space as they do. Yeah. And stay out of their way in a space that you have to be in for eight hours. Yeah. Shut up with these other people in the same building. Just hide from them all day. Yeah. And Marcus is like, what do you think I've been doing this whole time? I've been trying to stay out of their way. Like, they won't stay out of my way. And I I love how upset he gets. And I think he's totally justified in that moment. And the idea, too, that, like, it's not only kids that don't like him, but, like, teachers don't seem to like him either. Yeah. And, like, how heartbreaking that is. But, like, also how true. It is. How, like, some teachers just, like, if a kid is, like, a problem, not a problem, but, like, problems follow them or they're a distraction for whatever reason, like, yeah. The teacher's just like, I just don't want to deal with them. Yeah. And not to be like acting like I'm shitting on teachers because this is just adults in general. No. But like having people in your life that you should be able to like rely on just like completely ignore you is awful. Mm-hmm. The sneaker situation, unfortunately, <laughs> leads to a lot of questions from Marcus's mom, <laughs> which leads to a lot of answers that she is very upset by. God, I love this scene in the book and the movie. It's like the exact same where he has to tell her the truth, right? Yeah. Because he's like, my sneakers were stolen. And she's like, well, why were they stolen? They're just like really dumb, boring shoes. And he's like, no, they were nice ones. And she's like, well, where did you get them? And and he's like, well, Will bought them for me. And then thus enters the stage where everything he says, Fiona just repeats back, but she's yelling it. Yeah. She's like, Will bought them for you. And he's like, yeah, I've been kind of going around to his house after school. And she's like, you've been going to his <laughs> house. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, he doesn't have a kid. He doesn't have a kid. <laughs> and one of those moments where like Marcus is just confused by like her reaction and how yeah. she's like, you know, speaking <laughs> him yeah it's so funny (laughs) totally reasonable though because he's been lying to her about this the whole time yeah the movie i think tries to when this confrontation happens will seems to be genuinely genuinely surprised that marcus didn't tell his mom yeah so i think they were trying to save face a little bit there because i Mm -hmm. think in the book 
Will knew that the mom didn't know, yeah. but was still like letting Marcus hang out, yeah. which is like obviously very questionable. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, the mom has every right to be like, why is my son going to yes. some random man's house after school and he hasn't told me about it? Like, did the man tell him not to tell me about it? Like, what's going on? Yeah. Like, specifically, there are red flags here. But it is, you know, as the reader and as the viewer, we know that everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Marcus is not being abused. And the scene is really interesting in both the book and the movie. In the movie, it's like more dramatic because he's having dinner with someone at a restaurant and Fiona comes to come So it's like him. embarrassing. There's like yeah. a level of humor in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, obviously Fiona's like kind of not interrogating him, but asking him all these questions, why he's like hanging out with uh, Marcus, all these things. But eventually Will kind of like turns the tables on her and yeah. is like, Marcus is miserable. Yeah. And she's like, no, he's not. He's like, yeah, he is. Like, he's worried about you constantly. He's getting bullied at school mercilessly. Yeah, he says he's getting uh, torn to pieces every day. Yeah, and like, you don't even know. Mm -hmm. And this is obviously news to Fiona. Mm -hmm. And that like, it's so interesting and ironic that Will, who is just so stupid. And self-absorbed. And self-absorbed is the one who's able to recognize these things about Marcus, where his own mom, who genuinely loves and cares about him, is just like, has no idea. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think this goes back to, like, Marcus is at a key point in his life, right? Like, he's literally in the process of separating his identity from his mother's identity. Yeah, You know, he's trying to figure out who he is on his own. And, like, for so long when you're growing up, you are just what your parents put into you, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you can only be that. And then you get to this crucial point where you're like, maybe I want to be different. Maybe I like different things. Um, And a lot of that is driven by peer pressure, right? Yeah. It's desire to fit in with, like, you know, your friends and your peers. Um, And it's really hard for Marcus. And, like, Fiona just cannot see it because she doesn't understand the pressure that Marcus is facing at school. And she's just like, oh, well... You know, you just be yourself and everything's fine. Yeah. And Marcus is literally just getting bullied every day and Will seems to be the only one that notices. There's a great argument where, you know, uh, I think earlier on Marcus kind of confronts his mom about like, why am I a vegetarian? She's like, well, I'm a vegetarian. Yeah. He's like, well, why don't I get a choice in that? And she's mm-hmm. like, well, I cook for you. And he's like, but I don't get to go to McDonald's. Yeah. And she's kind of yielding about like, well, if you want to go to McDonald's, you can. I'd just be disappointed. Yeah. Kind of like manipulating him, you know, emotionally to, like, live a certain lifestyle. And and he talks about that. He says, like, you know, we have these arguments. Well, we have these discussions where we talk about things. But in the end, you always just get your way anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's not really a discussion. So, like, I think in Fiona's mind, she's trying to be a progressive parent. Yeah. But she still is just forcing her viewpoint on her kid. Well, I think that's such a probably a common tactic by parents, which is just to, like, Trick them? Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I know I can win an argument. Yeah. Like, I'm not even saying I'm right, but I know I can win this argument. Which, like, I mean, I think parents believe what they're saying. Yeah. But and, w- like, they know best, But right? when your opponent is a child who knows nothing, like, you should win that argument. Yeah. You should always win an argument against a child. Yeah. So it's like, you're just kind of, like, proving it to yourself almost mm-hmm. in a way, as well as, like, trying to control your child. Yeah. So the way this book and just movie highlights Marcus kind of beginning to question these things, I think, is really interesting. Yeah, I agree. So in the film... Marcus interrupts the argument by inviting Will to Christmas. Yeah. 
and you know he doesn't want to go mm-hmm. but after a very sad viewing of the bride of frankenstein <laughs> he accepts the invitation i'm glad that we watched that recently so i, I get, know i it, get the reference it was now. good to be able to watch <laughs> yeah um so we're at christmas and i love this christmas scene in both the book and the movie because we have this cast of characters right yeah. It's Fiona, it's Marcus, it's Will, but it's also Marcus's dad, who we've never met before, his dad's girlfriend, Lindsay, and Lindsay's mom. And you're like, why is Lindsay's mom here? <laughs> the movie does such a good job of, like, playing up this joke visually. Yeah. Because, like, first it introduces the dad in a close-up, and then it pulls back to him introducing uh, his wife next to him, and then yeah. it pulls back farther because the grandma is, like, <laughs> even farther over to the right. Like, it just keeps extending the number of people in the scene. Yeah. Can we just talk briefly here, though, about uh, our two lead actors in this film? Yeah. Hugh Grant and Nicholas Holt. Here's the thing. I think Hugh Grant is expertly cast in this role. Perfectly. Who else could they have got for He this was born. To play this. To play this role. Yeah. Like, this is the role <laughs> I think of when I think of Hugh Grant. Yeah. I know he was in a lot of rom-coms and mm-hmm. stuff like that, but, like, this... This movie is so perfect for him. Yeah, and you know, here's the thing. Like, I've heard kind of conflicting things about Hugh Grant, right? As a person? Yes. Yeah. As a human. Like, that he has maybe, like, dated a lot of women that were, like, maybe, like, not underage, but maybe, like, almost, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Like, certain things in his public life, there have been some scandals. But, like, he just has this, like, edge to him, right? Yeah. But I think... Disregarding all that, he does have, like, a a kind of charm to him as well. Oh, for sure. And, like, he does often play kind of, like, somewhat sleazy men. Yeah. So, like, I don't even think those allegations... Well, and what's kind of ironic is, like, the the biggest one that comes to my mind was, like, he got caught with a prostitute, right? Yeah, yeah. Which it's, like, compared to the scandals of today... Yeah. Like, paying a sex worker for, I know, I'm like, that's not really a I'm like, deal. yeah, that's like, can we, yeah, this is kind of, like, fine, yeah. honestly. Listen, he's helping the economy. He is. He's a capitalist. But, yeah, no, just, like, by comparison, it's like, I mean, yeah, sure, okay. I'm more uncomfortable with, like, him pursuing young Really women. young women, yeah, yeah. That's kind of a different story. But, like, I think the one that, like, is most known is, like, the prostitute thing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean... Just perfect in this movie. And then you have Nicholas Holt. Yes. Who is so young. Baby Nicholas Holt. Baby, pudgy-faced I know. He's so cute. He's very cute. He has the dumbest haircut. It is the worst haircut. (laughs) Were you about to mention it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, the worst. Like, I know... I know it's on purpose. Like, I get it. Yeah. But it's, like, almost distracting how bad it is. Like, it almost hurts the movie a little bit You're how like, bad. did you perfectly cut it in the worst way? Like... I know. It's so expertly cut like, to be awful. Like, an AI algorithm, like, figured out the worst shape of hair for his head. And they cut that. <laughs> but he's he's so cute. Like, he's very earnest. He's very sweet. Um, but he's very funny too. Yes. He holds his own very well with like all these adult actors that he's in scenes with. Yeah. Yeah. Despite like, I wish that it had gone in more of like an autism kind of direction. Like obviously that's more of a directing, you know, thing. That's not a reflection on his performance Mm because ultimately, uh, he's, he's excellent in this movie. And this was definitely a star making 
performance for him because he's been in so much since then. Oh, yeah. But great lead actors. And then, of course, Tony Collette. Yes, as Fiona. As Fiona. I had no idea she was in this movie until it started. I'm like, oh, my God, I love Toni Collette so much. Yeah, she's just so great in almost every movie that she's in, but very underrated. Absolutely. I think, like, she's getting a lot more love now. I don't know why now. I mean, hereditary. That's true. I really think that was, like, brought her back up into, Mm -hmm. you know, pop culture and discussions. And then Knives Out kind of solidified that. Oh, yeah. She is just so wonderful and so great. The one part in the movie... Early on when Marcus is talking about, like, her depression and her crying episodes. Yeah. She's just trying to get a bowl out of the cabinet. <laughs> and she can't quite reach it. And it's it. kind of stuck. And she's just, like, crying. <laughs> and she spills the milk and is, like, crying harder. It's so funny. She's so good at, like, <laughs> playing it, like, messy and, like, sympathetic. But, like, there's still, it's still funny, you yeah. know? She's amazing. I don't even know if I knew she was British. Really? Well, is she? I think she is. I'd imagine she is, but like she could. I don't know. I'm yeah. actually not sure. Okay. I kind of like am secretly suspicious of all actors. <laughs> Are you all that British? they're British? Yeah. Or Australian? Like if Brad Pitt was suddenly in an interview, like speaking in a British accent, I'd be like, okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I should have guessed. Like, I should have known. That's on me. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this Christmas scene is great. We get, like, all the characters coming together. We get Marcus's perspective, kind of liking this group all being here for Christmas and feeling like his family is fleshing out a bit more. He's mm-hmm. not as alone as he was. And then you get Will's perspective where he's like, oh, my God, Fiona's giving Marcus the worst gifts and he is acting excited about them. Like, <laughs> yeah. he's like, oh, my God, he's giving her like or she's giving him like socks and like a tambourine and he has to <laughs> act excited. He's like, that'll be useful. <laughs> that'll movie. come in handy. That'll come in handy. Uh Yes, and like things are things get tense when Susie shows up because since Fiona now knows about Will not having an actual child, Susie now knows that Will doesn't have an actual child. Yeah. And so things are like very uncomfortable for a time. Yeah, I love in the argument that they get into and Marcus is like, no, Will's not going to leave. He's my guest. I invited him. <laughs> and he's also like, so what if he made up a kid? Like kids at school do way worse than that like every day. And it is funny that like socially making up a child is like so weird and yeah. such a bad sign. But like, in Marcus's mind, it doesn't mean anything. No. Yeah. And if you do evaluate it, you're like, I mean, I guess it's like maybe not the worst thing. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I love, though, how this culminates in Will bringing up uh, the duck incident again. <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of diffusing the tension in the yeah. room. Yeah. Yeah. It also, and like Will kind of like ends up having a good time on Christmas mm-hmm. and it kind of being like this sign to him that maybe like his barriers are starting to come down a bit. Yeah. And that the life he's been living is maybe not going to satisfy him anymore. Now that he's had kind of a richer experience with Marcus and, you know, Fiona and getting brought into Marcus's life. Yeah. His whole, you know, being an Island, you know, living on his, living on his own, not needing to like let life in Mm -hmm. is starting to uh, disappear. Yeah. And this does like lead almost directly into Will meeting a woman on New Year's Eve. He meets Rachel and likes her immediately. She's pretty, she's smart, she's interesting. Um, But he runs into a problem. He is handsome 
But he's not interesting. No. He is <laughs> dull as dirt. Yeah. And it this seems like almost like a revelation to him. It is. And I kind of like it. Because he's like so interested in Rachel. The only thing is, and this is true for the book too, is that like I wish we got more example of like why she's so interesting and different yeah like we're told that like oh she you know she illustrates children's books and she books and she has really interesting opinions on movies and Mm -hmm. you know she's culture she's very thoughtful and like we're told a lot of this but on the other hand i'm like this certainly can't be the first person wills encountered like this you know i mean i think they are tying it directly to what wills experience with marcus that's true yeah like it's kind of opening him up a crack and then he meets this person and wants to actually pursue her but that could almost make it seem like it could have been anyone that's true or not anyone but like yeah a broader range of people i just would have liked maybe a little bit more focused interactions with him and Rachel that, yeah. you know, illustrated that a bit more. Mm-hmm. But just when he feels like Rachel is losing interest in him completely, he brings up Marcus because he realizes, and this is hard for him to admit, but the only interesting thing in his life is Marcus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the way he brings up Marcus just automatically implies that Marcus is his son. Without actually saying that it yes. is his son. So Rachel assumes that and he does everything he can not to refute that assumption. Yeah, and she's actually really interested when he says that because she also has a 12-year-old son. And so she's instantly like, oh my God, this is someone that I can relate to, also has a kid, a boy who's 12. He knows what I'm going through in life. And um, Will is like, yeah, definitely. And we should meet up. Our kids should go have a play date. (laughs) That's what they do when they're 12, right? Yeah, uh, Yes. <laughs> and this, there's a great scene where Will has to talk to Marcus and convince him to get in on this scheme of pretending to be his kid. It's just this one of those great scenes where Marcus is like, I don't get it. Just tell her the truth. And yeah. He's like, no, I can't now. And he's like, I'll tell I'll her. Tell her. <laughs> and he's like, no, Marcus, it's too late for this. <laughs> and Marcus does agree with, with him and agrees to be... His son, because Marcus has also met someone. Yes. And understands, once Will admits that he's in love, he's like, oh, I get it. I'm also in love. Because Marcus <laughs> meets Ellie. Yes. And Ellie's kind of introduced earlier in the book mm-hmm. uh, than in the film. But Ellie is a girl who is like three years older than him. Yeah. She is rough around the edges mm-hmm. with a very punk or rock aesthetic to her. Yeah. And... She immediately seems just, like, annoyed by Marcus. But Marcus is, like, you know, being him and not easily taking a hint, Mm -hmm. like, tries to talk to her and start up a conversation. And, like, his bluntness about things and kind of, like, his quirky way of, like, viewing the world, Ellie is, like, endeared to. Mm -hmm. And I think it does a good job of, like, immediately, or initially, I should say, She kind of just thinks he's funny. Yeah. He's entertaining. Yes. And she's amused by him. And so she's like, oh, yeah, come over and hang out with me and my friends and, like, say weird shit and we can, like, laugh. Like, we'll get lunch, you know? And she'll, like, kiss him on the cheek because, like, it's funny, you Mm -hmm. know? And as this relationship continues and Marcus tells Will all these things, like, Will 
is like, this sounds more like a pet owner relationship. <laughs> yeah. Which Marcus does not care about at all. No, he's like, I love her. I like her. She's so cool. She's so pretty. Like, she's so interesting. And like, honestly, she's the first person at school that's really like seen him and accepted him. Yeah. And like, maybe she's doing it for not the best reasons, but in the end, she really does appreciate Marcus. Yeah, I think their relationship evolves in a great way where you do see them kind of meeting as equals to a point where they're like actually able to have discussions. Like she's yeah. not just laughing at him all the time. Mm -hmm. They do form a real bond and relationship. And you know why Marcus like genuinely like, loves her. Yeah. Uh, because, like, she'll literally beat the shit out of kids who are, like, bullying him. Which it's is just, great. I love this dynamic so much. It's so wonderful. Because, uh, like, you know, even though in a way she's laughing at Marcus, she's also appreciating him. Yeah. For the qualities that, like, have made him a target in school. Mm -hmm. And so kind of, like, you know, hopefully getting him to also accept himself a little bit, too. Not that that was ever really his problem, but yeah. um, I do love this whole dynamic. Um, we should talk, though, a little bit about Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Which, like, if you've never read the book, you might be like, what are you talking about? Because it's not in the movie at all. But Kurt Cobain is actually a really important part of the book. And it's an important he's an important person to Ellie. And Ellie wears a sweatshirt with his face on it every day to school, even though she gets in trouble. Will is bringing up the album Nevermind and how he likes to listen to it. Yeah. Uh, Marcus gets confused about who Ellie is talking about and, like, wants to impress Ellie. So, like, has to get into Nirvana. <laughs> what does he keep? Uh, he calls him, like, um, oh, what something, is it? Something Obane. Yeah. Like, Kurt Co. O or... <sighs> He like he's telling Will the wrong name, so Will has like no idea who he's talking about, and it's so funny. Kirk Obane. Kirk Obane, that's it. <laughs> and he's like, he plays for Manchester United, and Will's like, no, what he doesn't. No, he doesn't, Marcus. I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> but yeah, like this is a thing that like you know once Marcus begins to like listen to uh, Nirvana, and I like it's not something that like suddenly he's like oh my God, this is the band I've been needing all no. my life or anything. Like he, he just listens to them and like has an opinion about them. Mm -hmm. But Ellie is like a huge fan yeah. of Nirvana and specifically Kurt Cobain. Yeah, and I I think this is interesting. It does like kind of call back to High Fidelity, Nick Hornby's yes. other book. And there's actually a part in About a Boy where Will goes into championship vinyl. <laughs> yes. From High Fidelity. So yeah. I thought that was funny. That was great. Um, but just the role of music and especially the role of music sometimes for kids and teens and like how important that can feel to them. Um, and that kind of being part of their identity. Yeah. And, you know, I really don't know a lot about Kurt Cobain. Uh, so, you know, there's a part where apparently he had a drug overdose and almost died. Uh, this was pretty shortly before he committed suicide. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of discussion. You know, Ellie was like, I know he wants to kill himself and he will eventually, like, if yeah. he wants to. And she's very upset about it. And this, like, sparks, like, a really good discussion between her and Marcus. Because yeah. she realizes she's being really insensitive talking about this subject to Marcus when she knows his mom tried to kill herself. Yeah. And she's kind of being like, oh, well, if anyone wants to do that, they can do it at any time. Yeah. But this kind of like lets them bond over this moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
and I didn't know what the timeline of, you know, Kurt Cobain's overdose to his suicide was or yeah. anything like that. So it eventually gets to a point in the book where he does, you know, uh, commit suicide. And mm-hmm. it's kind of this like major plot point. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, so I, I just like it. I do like its role in the story a lot. Mm-hmm. Kind of like going from that into the book talking about suicide in general, um, since you brought that up. Yeah. Like, when Marcus is talking to Ellie about it, Ellie kind of brings up, and I like that the book brings this up, and she kind of says, like, well, people don't say when a man kills himself, like, well, he had kids. Mm-hmm. But if a woman kills herself or tries to kill herself, they're like, how could she do that? She had kids. Like, how could yeah. she be that bad of a mom? And, like, Ellie kind of pointing out the double standard, and Marcus, you know, rightfully being like, well, I need her. She's my mom. Yeah. I live with her. I don't live with my dad. And then Ellie kind of being like, well, that's how all of us are. Like, so many of us in school, you know, our parents are separated or divorced, and we all live with our mom, and there's this pressure on the moms. And, like, the dads are there to some extent, but, you know, our primary caregiver is the mom. And then there's just this pressure and this responsibility and just having to raise a child by yourself and have to be responsible for how they turn out, their grades, Mm -hmm. their well-being, like how are they doing? And I think we see this in Fiona that the pressure is too much for her. Yeah. And I think this is highlighted in in a lot of different ways. Like, I mean, one, I love that, you know, the book starts in a funny way with Will – trying to get together with single moms. Yeah. And that the single parent group is all women. Yeah. So it's like illustrating that for us, but like it doesn't really talk about it until later when Ellie is like, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. Like, that's an issue that mm-hmm. there's so much pressure on women as single parents. Yeah. Uh, you know, I also really loved in the book uh, the mom's suicide note mm-hmm. and just kind of describing her depression. Yeah. As being like, not so much that she wanted to kill herself, but just, I, I think she describes it as like, it's like the party's over. Yeah. And I'm just kind of hanging around with mm-hmm. like nothing to do. Mm-hmm. I, I, and, and it's constantly to emphasizing specifically from Fiona's point of view, how it's mental illness. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like an actual, you know, it, it's not something that could just be fixed with like a fun day or like yeah. the right people in your life or like. You know, it's a process and, like, we'll oftentimes need medication and therapy Mm -hmm. and, like, you know, attention to, like, um, to manage, I'll say, not even, like, to overcome it. Yeah. Um, So I think the the book and the film address, you know, the issue of depression from a very nuanced and realistic way. Yeah, I will say, though, I do wish that more was talked about, like, therapy and medication. I, I agree, yeah. Like... I just wish that this was brought up as an option for Fiona because it's sort of just like, oh, just like get better. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of being generous when I bring those things up because the book doesn't really. Yeah. It talks about it from the viewpoint of being a mental illness. Yeah. But not. How to treat it. Yeah. Besides just getting over it or having more support, you know, and I know this was like written in the 90s, but I do still think that there's no excuse to not at least mention, you know, going to therapy or counseling and then considering, you know, taking medication because depression is something that like a lot of people deal with and it's not something that everybody can just get over and like move past. Like it really is something that you need help. You need medical help. You need help from your friends, from your family, and sometimes you need medication. So 
Um, I really wish that this book and movie would have gone there. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the uh, the play date. Yes, that the play Will date. <laughs> sets up for Marcus and Rachel's son. Allie. Allie. <laughs> Things don't go well. Yeah. Allie is maybe a sociopath. <laughs> yes, he threatens to kill Marcus if... Will ends up dating his mom, Rachel. Yes. And the line that they kept from the book in the movie, which Marcus is like, well, if she's keen on him, I can't do anything about it. And he goes, she's not keen on him. She's only keen on me. (laughs) Very edible. Yes. And the actor who plays uh, Allie in the movie does such a good job of like cracking like in the moment of saying that line yeah like just falling apart and being like very terrifying marcus is so scared that he just leaves yeah (laughs) mark and will clearly sees him go and is like what what are you doing like what's happening brings marcus back and then uh rachel's involved they kind of are like all right you know we know the situation now like ali apologizes and Marcus and Allie at this point are at least able to form like an uneasy truce, I think. Yeah. So that's good news. They're like, okay, we can probably like <laughs> hang out to a degree. <laughs> uh, Will keeps lying about Marcus for a time to Rachel, but then eventually decides to come clean to her. Yeah, he confesses. It's so like terrible in the book specifically, I think. Because yeah. like, he keeps kind of re- he'll like drop a little bit of the truth and be like, well, he's not technically like my my son by birth. Yeah. And she's like, oh, OK, well, how is he your son then? Yeah. Well, he's like, well, that's interesting. It's interesting you ask that. <laughs> and then he'll like try to like not say anything. Yeah. <laughs> and then he'll be like, well, I never actually technically dated uh, his mother. And he's like, OK, well, how are you his dad in any way then? Yeah. It's like. That's, there, that, that's an interesting uh, yeah. statement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he gradually, very slowly and painfully admits to Rachel that he is not Marcus's father in any sense of the word. No. Of the word and uh, was lying. And it's interesting because in the book, uh, I keep forgetting the names. I was Rachel. almost going to say Fiona. In the book, Rachel... <laughs> Is like, well, he's in your life, right? And and then Will kind of explains how he came into Marcus's life, their relationship now. And to Rachel, that is fine. Yeah, she's like not necessarily cool about him misleading her. Yeah. But he's she's like, well, you, you obviously play a role in his life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's still something. Yeah, and and clearly it's enough to still interest her in Will and she doesn't really abandon him. The movie plays out a little bit differently. Yeah, this is kind of a crucial turning point for Will Mm because he's kind of confronted with the fact that, like, he's not Marcus's dad. And without Marcus, he's kind of like nothing. He's that blank slate that she describes. Mm -hmm. And he has, like, nothing interesting about him. Yeah. And he kind of, like, leaves the dinner abruptly. Yeah. And is kind of going through something, definitely, here. Um, We're going to take kind of a a break here and just talk about the book ending and then talk about the movie ending because they end very differently up until now they've really pretty much followed the same track and now they diverge yeah so in the book 
Marcus approaches Will because he knows his mom is getting depressed again. Mm -hmm. She's kind of on the same trajectory as the first time she tried to kill herself, and he's very concerned. Yeah. Will at first does not want to, he does not answer the call. No. He's like, I don't want to be involved in this. But eventually he's like, I do need to do something. Yeah, he talks to Rachel about it and mentions it, and she's like, well, maybe I could talk to her. Yeah. And he's like, oh, that'd be great. I don't want to talk to her. You should do it. She's like, yeah, we'll we'll all meet for lunch. Yeah. And I'll talk to her. And he's like, okay, okay, great. And so he shows up (laughs) to the restaurant, and Fiona's there, and then Rachel's not there. She continues to not be there, and he finally realizes Oh, she's not coming. She set me up because she knew that I needed to talk to Fiona and she tricked me into going to do it myself. (laughs) And he like wasn't even like that mad about it. Yeah, but it's just so funny. Yeah. So he ends up talking to Fiona and I really loved this too. I think it is so, there aren't many things that I'll be like, oh, well, this is men and this is women. Yeah. But it is very common for men to want to fix a problem. Yeah. And when a woman just maybe wants to, like, talk about it and express how she's feeling. And And have someone sympathize with her. Yeah, and if a guy isn't able or doesn't know how to fix it, like, he kind of doesn't want to, like, address it Mm -hmm. or know how to, like... I mean, I struggle with that sometimes. And so this is, like, a revelation for Will when... He kind of finally is able to just sit there and let Fiona talk about the things she's been going through. Yeah. And he's like, oh. I don't have to do anything. He's like, this is like when I interact with women who I want to sleep with. (laughs) Except I don't want to sleep with her. I'm just being like a human being. (laughs) This is what humans do. (laughs) (laughs) And this is kind of a bonding moment for them where he's able to be there for her to some extent. Mm -hmm. And during this time... Uh, Marcus, his dad, has a bit of a an accident. <laughs> he falls from a window ledge. Yes. This is before the, the, the dinner uh, between Fiona and Will, but he fell off a window ledge. He's been having a, a think, as he puts it, <laughs> which is very British. Yeah. Been having a think. Yeah. And he wants uh, Marcus to travel up to see him so that they can talk. Yeah. And Marcus is kind of, like, pissed about this. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, he has, like, an accident, and suddenly he's reevaluating his life, and I have to be there to be a part of it, and he's pissed about it. Well, and he's also like, well, where were you when my mom tried to kill herself? Yes. Where were you when I was being bullied at school? And now you fall off a window ledge, and you're like, <laughs> I need my son. <laughs> so he's like, but... He tells Ellie about this, and Mm -hmm. she's like, well, I'll go with you. Yeah. Like, I'll fucking tell your dad off for you. And he's like, cool. (laughs) All right, let's go. So he decides to go with Ellie, which his mom does not know about. So he meets up with Ellie. They get on the train. Mm -hmm. And this is the day that it's announced that Kurt Cobain uh, committed suicide. Yeah. And Ellie is devastated by this, and she is drinking on the train. She's trying to get drunk. And this is when Marcus realizes that maybe bringing Ellie to his dad's is a bad idea. He's seeing Ellie in a new light outside Mm -hmm. of school. Yeah. And kind of being like, without the constraints of school, even though she always seemed to be like above that, Mm -hmm. without those in place, like she's kind of like too much of a loose cannon. Yeah. She's really pissed. She gets off the train at the wrong station, like Mm -hmm. intentionally. He follows her. She walks down the street to a record store where she sees, like, a cardboard cutout of Kurt Cobain in the window, and she's, like, appalled. Yeah. Because she thinks the record store is trying to, like... Capitalize on his death to make money. So she smashes the fucking window out with her boot. (laughs) Yeah. 
They end up arrested. Yes, the police come (laughs) and they get arrested. And this is when, uh, you know, in the Will timeline side of the story, Fiona listens to the answering machine and is like, oh. Marcus is in jail. Marcus is in jail. (laughs) We should go get him. It's funny because Will and Fiona and then Ellie's mom all get together to travel up to find them. And then... Marcus's dad and Lindsay arrive too, and everybody's like all coming together in this very dramatic moment. And it's so funny. It's just all these personalities coming together. And like Fiona's mom is so convinced that Marcus is like going to prison. (laughs) (laughs) And she like tells the police officer, officer, she's like, listen, we'll cut a deal, okay? Marcus will like rat out Ellie. I'm sorry. To Ellie's mom, but it's too late for Ellie. She's Marcus, weeping. Yeah, Marcus, like, we'll, we'll cut a deal. Like, he'll cooperate. Like, he's, I, I'm, I'm a bit of bad mom, but I'm going to be better now. <laughs> like, she's just going off. And Marcus is like, mom, I didn't do anything. Like, yeah. I'm not in trouble. I'm just here with Ellie. Like, <laughs> and yeah, he's like, I just got off the train. Like, literally yeah. nothing else. <laughs> and his dad, he's just like, he's already told him off. Yeah. And he's just like, both of my parents are so pathetic right now. I'm so embarrassed. Yeah. There's Will also- is like the only refuge for yes. him in this mess. Yeah. There's also a great moment, too, where um, the record shop owner shows up. Yeah. And it is a girl who is just like Ellie, like 10 years in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Like also in a Kurt Cobain sweatshirt. And like Ellie is suddenly like, oh, my God, like this wasn't some douchebag man mm-hmm. who owned this record shop capitalizing off like it was a fan. Yeah. And I really loved Marcus has such a revelation about Ellie. Yeah. And is like, you know, she really hates her life. But for the most part, she creates the her own problems. Yeah. Like. She yells at people and she won't obey the rules at school. And like, Mm -hmm. she's kind of doing all these things that like draw problems towards her. And if she just stopped doing them, she wouldn't have problems. When he's saying like, he's the one that has the hard life, right? Like with his mom's mental health, with being bullied at school. But she's the one that's creating drama and making things all about herself. Like making the death of Kurt Cobain about her. Yeah. You know? And Marcus is just kind of like, well, maybe Ellie isn't really girlfriend material. (laughs) Maybe she's not right for me. (laughs) And Will's like, you think? (laughs) But I really love that kind of, it doesn't like ruin Ellie's character or anything. It just like highlights the problems of someone like her Mm -hmm. and why Marcus isn't a good fit romantically for her. Yeah, we get kind of like an epilogue here. Like Marcus and his dad sort of have a, a talk and Marcus is sort of realizing that his dad is kind of a loser, you know, like smokes weed and just like is not a good dad and is not really there for Marcus. And Marcus is kind of like, well, I'm just going to, I just accept that. Like that's the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because the movie kind of like paints the dad as being like, nerdy and kind of like uptight looking almost whereas in the book he's depicted as being more kind of like a slacker slacker, kind of a burnout type character Mm -hmm. yeah uh will things are going well with rachel Mm -hmm. uh even Allie is okay with the situation yeah uh i think Allie asks like are you gonna marry my mom and Mm -hmm. he's like I'm just thankful to, like, hang out with your mom. <laughs> she still talks to me, and I consider that a win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm not going to push that for the moment. Um, there's a really great closing moment, though, in the book that's, mm-hmm. like, so interesting, where Will is acknowledging, 
and he's talking to Fiona yeah. that like Marcus has changed so much mm-hmm. in a, such a short time. He's kind of becoming more of a typical teenager. Yeah. Where he's embarrassed by his mom now. Mm-hmm. He kind of doesn't want to like hang out with her. And Will sees this as like a good sign. Yeah. And he kind of acknowledges that like kind of in order to survive, Marcus basically had to like not be himself anymore. Yeah. And it's this very, I don't want to say paradoxical, but it seems like the wrong thing that should have happened. The wrong takeaway, yeah. Yeah. But there's almost this truth to it because Will is describing how, you know, Marcus has changed so much because he's built this shell around him. He's grown a thick skin. Yeah, over the past months. Whereas Will has kind of shed that skin. Yeah. And is like vulnerable again. And I think that's the point they're trying to make, right? That yes. like to be a teenager and to grow up, you have to kind of hide yourself. You kind of have to grow a thick skin. And then when you're older, you can hopefully shed that again. And I think like most adults would have done it already. Like Will's obviously yeah. like a late bloomer in that mm-hmm. regard. But yeah, this like it's almost this metamorphosis where like you kind of become cynical and close yourself off from people and kind of... Yeah, it's a survival thing. And I mean, I wish that it wasn't like this, but I do think that this book is so realistic. And I know it was in the 90s, but like, honestly, it's still so relevant to like what it's like to be a kid and to be a teenager. And like, it is just really tough. You cannot be yourself and you don't even know who yourself is. You're still trying to figure that out. And like the pressure is so strong and like you're trying to separate yourself from your parents because you want to be your own person, but like they're still bearing down on you and it's so suffocating. And your biggest influences are your friends who are only responding to their experiences with their own parents. Yeah. It's just like you're a pinball. I know. Just bouncing around and you have no idea. It's really tough. Yeah. But like. I kind of like the, it's not a cynical view. No. But it's a very realistic one Mm -hmm. about what it's like to grow up and kind of the trade-off you have. But I like, though, we get from Marcus's perspective how he's really happy that he has so many people in his life now. Yeah. He talks about Will being around and then Will bringing Rachel and Allie into his life, Mm -hmm. having his dad and Lindsay also, and then like Susie's around as well. And like how his circle has grown and he feels a lot safer now. And he uses this metaphor when talking to his, his real dad about how like, you know, your life is like one of those human pyramids in, in a, a show Mm -hmm. and like really it's more the stability of people in your life than the quality yes because he tells like his dad he's like i mean you and mom were fine but if you if you wander away yeah like what good does that do me Mm -hmm. like i don't care that you're my parents and that like your relationship should be better it doesn't matter if you're not here yeah and that like really just having like a A constant presence a larger support network of kind of a found family, you know yeah. what I mean? And like yeah. really highlighting the importance of that mm-hmm. uh, is a really interesting revelation for Marcus to have in the story, I think. Yeah. Let's wrap things up with the movie now. Yes, the talent show. Yes. <laughs> I have to say it's really interesting because I had read almost up until this point in the book mm-hmm. when we watched the movie, right? Yeah. So when this talent show thing popped up. Yeah. I remember thinking like, oh, okay. (laughs) And, you know, none of this is bad by any means. Yeah. But I remember being like, I'm really, because, you know, this movie had been very faithful up until this point. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking like, 
I imagine this is, must be in the book. I'll, I'll be very curious how the book handles this. Yeah. Because it feels very... Abrupt. And kind of Hollywoody compared to everything else. Yeah. You know, Hollywoody. Yeah. <laughs> so it was very interesting to finish the book and realize... Oh, at this point when I had that feeling yes. is when the whole movie kind of diverges from where the book went. Yeah, and Marcus goes to Will about his mom not doing well, and Will kind of yells at him and is like, it's not my problem. And then Marcus kind of yells back and says, no one gives a shit about you. A lot of the dialogue is pulled from the book, but it's like not a fight, yeah. which was kind of interesting. Yeah. But it turns it into this kind of like crucial moment between them. Mm-hmm. And Marcus thinks about how he can help his mom, and he remembers that she said that his singing brought sunshine to her heart. So he decides to sing in the talent show, and he's going to sing Killing Me Softly. Yes. When Will <laughs> finds out about this, I love it. He he rushes to the school. I mean, first he does decide to confront Fiona, though. That's true. I'm, I'm, I'm skipping that. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of comes to his senses and is like, I care about Marcus. I want him to be okay. And if I care about Marcus, then I have to care about Fiona, too. Yeah. He goes to a spat meeting. Yes. Where Fiona is. <laughs> and they kind of have a whole discussion. Yeah. And it's similar to... Uh, the book, a lot mm -hmm. of the elements of the discussion where Fiona's kind of like, you know, I'm not better, you know, I'm I, I'm not, not depressed, but like I'm doing better now than I was. Yeah. And how she's not anywhere near to, you know, wanting to kill herself again. Mm -hmm. But then Will hears that Marcus is going to sing in the talent show and he's like, oh no, and, we have to go now. And they get in his car and they rush there like it's Die Hard 3 where they're trying to defuse a bomb. <laughs> they're like, you know, speeding through the streets. And I really love it too because, you know, we see a scene of um, Marcus practicing yeah. and kids like behind him, like looking at him, like <laughs> snickering and you're yeah. just like, oh no, it's going to be so bad. Yeah. Will even is like, Fiona, you park the car. I'm going to like run in. Yeah. Like he has to save him. He gets there and Marcus is like, I have to do this for my mom. Like there's nothing else I can do. Uh, the guy, the, the kid that he can uh, scripted to play the recorder <laughs> abandons him backs out of the production so then marcus is just gonna do acapella he gets on stage now he's a tambourine he does have a tambourine <laughs> um and he starts singing killing me softly i do think like one of the best touches the little thing that they did is that he's kind of swaying back and forth a little bit when he's singing yeah which is something that like i've seen kids do when they're nervous a lot oh wow yeah um, I really like, I do like this setup though, because like they have this argument before he goes out on stage where yeah. Will's trying to talk him down and it seems like he's going to convince him for a moment. Yeah. But finally, Will's viewpoint of like, well, you can't get hurt if you don't let people in. Yeah. That comes out in those last moments and that's when Marcus is like, no, I'm still going to do this. Yeah. Like he's still sticking to his guns of like kind of his worldview. Yeah. So I like this confrontation. Mm -hmm. And so when Marcus is out there and it takes a minute, but he eventually just starts bombing. Yeah. Because he's not a good singer. No. And the kids in the school are merciless. And then Will kind of sees this moment. He grabs the guitar of this kid next to him and starts accompanying Marcus. Yes. He starts playing the music and then he starts singing with him too. Yeah. And it kind of 
uh, saves it a little bit, you know yeah. what I mean? It kind of like at the very end, but then Will gets a little carried away, <laughs> yeah, and he has his closing his eyes moment, <laughs> as he puts it, yeah, and gets too into the music and like gets the a, whole thing, a ball thrown at his head, <laughs> the whole thing falls apart again. But I think he he saves Marcus's reputation though, right? Yes. He draws attention away from Marcus to himself in this moment, yeah. and so the kids I think are satisfied. Absolutely. <laughs> I think um, I do think this scene works thematically well within the story, even though it's a little bit more Hollywood. Yeah. And kind of creating this like tense situation at the end of the story. Uh, it still works in a lot of the themes. I like the callback to the uh, sincerity. Singing uh, with your eyes. Singing closed. with your eyes closed is good. The only thing that's weird is like him on stage at like a children's yeah. music show <laughs> accompanying Marcus. Yeah. Like, I get the intention, but if I was like in the audience, I'd be like, who's this grown man who's on stage now? Like, I thought this was for kids, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's also a chance for uh, Rachel, who's in the audience, to like see that he cares and that he's trying, and this kind of brings them back together. It really reminded me, too, of Little Miss Sunshine a lot. Yeah. And that ending. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder if it was inspired by this movie it could at be. all. Yeah. Yeah. We get a little bit of an epilogue in the movie at this point where it's like, oh, it's next Christmas and they're having Christmas at Will's apartment, Rachel and Allie and Marcus and Fiona and uh, I think that might be it are there. Uh, uh, w uh, Will did invite a, oh, yeah. a friend, <laughs> a quote unquote of his, which is obviously just to a setup. a setup for Fiona to meet this guy, which yeah. was so funny because like this guy appeared in just a brief moment in like yeah. a flashback earlier in the movie. <laughs> so to bring him in a surprise way was like really smart. It was perfect. Yeah. So we're here, Ian. I, I just, I'm sorry, but real quick, I just have no, to say. No, we're here. We can't no, go No, no, I'm sorry. I have to say. <laughs> yes. Marcus gets a haircut. Oh, yes. And it is almost just as bad. Honestly, I don't think they cut his hair. I think they just parted it differently. Is that all it is? I just think parted? so. I don't even think it's cut different. It looks really bad still. I know. Still. I'm like, why? I think it's supposed to look better. <laughs> it doesn't. But it still looks bad. And I just had to say that. <laughs> I his, know. His hair is still bad. It's terrible. Okay, now we're here. Now we're here. Uh, I think I can say with confidence that I prefer the book. Yeah. I mean, the the movie is excellent, and it's enjoyable, it's funny, but, like, the book is just so great. Mm -hmm. Like, the different perspectives of Will and Marcus keeps it balanced. I almost feel like when I was reading High Fidelity, it was, like, too much of the main yes. character. Because he got, like, exhausting and like tiring and I was like he's such a shitty person but kind of going back and forth was really perfect funny the writing is just smart and witty and like you can tell that I mean that he's just an excellent writer I completely agree with this decision I I also really love the movie yeah um there's not many things where I'm like eh, I don't like this or that but like the book is just so so witty. Yeah. I just really adored this book. I, I know. I loved it. Like, and, and like you said, the switching between perspectives mm -hmm. and these characters and their interactions just like really made it so enjoyable to read and, yeah. and, and was better, I think, than High Fidelity in that way. Mm -hmm. Um it's funny because, like, I think I prefer the movie High Fidelity over yeah. uh, the movie of About a Boy. Yeah. But I prefer the book of About a Boy yes. over than over the book High Fidelity. Yeah. I got that out right. <laughs> you did it. I did. <laughs> but um, yeah, the book is just 
I I usually have trouble reading more than like 20 pages in a sitting of a yeah. book. Mm-hmm. Like it's just kind of, you know, my mind starts to wander quickly after that point. But like I was able to just sit down and just plow through this book so quickly and it was so enjoyable. I would highly recommend it. And I mean, the movie is really great too. And I think it draws a lot from the book and that's why it is really good. I mean, yeah. the performances are amazing in this movie, definitely. But like the source material is just so strong. Definitely read it if you haven't had the chance to. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone picking this book up and not finding something to like about it. Yeah. So that that that's our, our biggest recommendation is please pick up this book. Definitely. Let's do lightning round. First up for lightning round, uh, there's just a moment. It's in the book, too. And it's very funny. But I actually think the movie improves on it where Will is talking about, like, a time he volunteered for a soup kitchen. <laughs> and it shows him approaching the soup kitchen where there's, like, a lineup of homeless people outside. And then he just turns on his heels and goes the other way. And he's like, I barely, he's like, I almost made it, too. <laughs> uh, He's so great and shitty. He's so bad. Uh, there's this other great part in the book where Marcus is dead. So he has this, this accident, right? He falls off a window ledge. Yeah. And as Marcus is having this discussion with his dad later, the dad keeps wanting to be like, ever since my accident, I've been like thinking about things and I realize I haven't been there for you. And, and I had this accident and Marcus keeps going like... You mean you fell off a window ledge? And it's like, yes, I fell off a window ledge. <laughs> anyway, like after the accident, you mean falling off the window? And like Marcus keeps <laughs> yeah. just like bringing up the fact that like he fell off a window ledge because he kind of knows it's embarrassing and dumb and he keeps like kind of <laughs> digging at his dad with it. The dad it. keeps trying to call it his accident. <laughs> yeah, and make it sound dramatic. <laughs> that was so, I loved that part so much. Uh, there is a part where... After the mom is home from her attempted suicide, um, poor Marcus just wants to watch a movie without, like, any death in it at all. And he, uh, like, doesn't want to even pick, like, an action movie. Yeah. And he's like, oh, uh, this Groundhog's Day movie just came out. It's like a on, comedy. On VHS, it's a comedy. I'll get this. <laughs> and it's so funny because at first you're like... Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, like, if you're familiar with that movie, as, like, before they even start watching it, you're like, oh, no. Because there's just that part where, like... A montage. A montage of him trying to kill himself. Over and over. And Marcus is just like, I can't watch this. (laughs) It's like... On, it's, like, kind of sad, honestly, in the book. Yeah. But honestly, just the realization, if you've seen that movie, of, like, <laughs> oh, my God, oh, no. <laughs> Next for lightning round, in the movie, before Marcus gets on stage to sing Killing Me Softly, the act before him is Allie, uh, Rachel's son, and a bunch of other kids breakdancing. <laughs> and they are called, because I, I saw it, they announced them, and then I saw them listed at the end credits, like the kids that are in it. They're called uh, the Death Penalty Crew, <laughs> and the song that they were dancing to or performing to is called Murder for Life. <laughs> and it's spelled like D-E-F, Death penalty crew like cru like <laughs> clearly trying to like rip off some of the bands and like popular things yeah, at the time be but as cool cool as possible just so he- funny just hearing the principal have to announce that was yeah. so great <laughs> and that's the death penalty crew with murder for life <laughs> uh yeah so that's that's our lightning round yes thank you for listening to this episode it was so great to 
return to Nick Hornby. Yeah. Talk about this uh, really beloved movie. Yeah. And uh, promote the book a little bit. Yeah. Because I mean, I know Nick Hornby is like a celebrated author. Yeah. But I'm like, do people know? Because <laughs> like I've only read two of his books now and I'm like. I want to read all of them. Yeah. Like, I really want to read more of his books because they're just so enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Thanks for listening. We already promoted our Patreon. So if you'd like to support us, head on over there. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So head on over there to see what we're up to. And if you could leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or a star rating, that would be super helpful as well. It helps other people find the podcast. And yeah, I think that's it. That's all she wrote. (laughs) Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.